and welcome to the premiere episode of Crossing Borders, the podcast series that brings you the little-known traditional music, dances, and folklore from around the world. My name is Genevieve, and I will be your host. is a featured element of We Who Move, a series of projects focused on global, cross-cultural collaboration and inspiration. To find out more or to explore the works of the artists featured on this series, feel free to take a look and have a listen at wewhomove.org. That's www.wewhomove.org. In addition to the artistic traditions you will discover here, I invite you to explore the ways in which music, dance, and story bring us together, crossing borders and differences alike throughout history and in the present. I will be introducing you to new and upcoming artists, collaborators, and researchers from all around the globe, and the important role our artistic traditions play in shaping our future. Once again, my name is Genevieve, thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the show. That was the song Wally Pumpkin, written and performed by the Edinburgh-based group Diwali. You can find links to that track and more of their music at wewhomove.org. I would also like to send a special thank you to them for allowing me to use that track as the opening theme music to this podcast. Now before we begin today's episode, or rather before we delve into the realms of traditional folkloric music and dance, I think first it is vital that we take a closer look at the importance of sound in our everyday lives. More specifically, ordered sound, or what we like to call music. If you'll bear with me, I would like to try an experiment. For one moment, close your eyes and begin to picture what life would be like if music didn't exist. Well, there would be no advertising jingles. No dancing in the car. No singing in the shower. No lullabies for children. There would be no background music at restaurants or in elevators. No call to mass or call to prayer. The radio might as well not exist. Or if it did, it would consist solely of talk radio and the news. This recording is volume three. No first dance at your wedding. And in fact, we probably should get rid of dance altogether. Because without music or rhythm to dance to, would dancing even exist? Okay, I'm sure you're getting the point. However, I would like to take it one step further and get rid of anything at all that could be considered musical. Because after all, what is music except ordered sound? Well, we would have to do away with the human voice. Because what is singing except extended speech? And we could quite easily get rid of things like bells, because bells are quite obviously musical. But in addition to bells, how about alarm clocks, sirens, ringtones? 
All of these things have some sort of pitch and rhythm. But even things as abstract as the sounds of footsteps or the ticking of clocks, those too have rhythm and meter. So where does it stop? The sounds of birds, crickets, rain falling, waves, all of these things have a sort of music in their nature. Do you think I'm wrong? Okay, okay, okay. I get it. I can almost hear you saying, what on earth does this have to do with traditional folk music and folk dance? I came here to learn about global traditions, not to hear some kooky spiel about music and birds or waves or something. I get that. I completely appreciate that. And yet, if you will bear with me for one more moment, I do have a point. Actually, a couple. I usually do. Anyway, my first point. How can we hope to appreciate global music traditions if we can't even recognize them as music? I mean, okay, so backing up. For example, everybody has their tastes, or at least what we think our tastes are. I love Mozart and Bach. I absolutely adore Irish jigs and reels. Have a great fondness for Swedish music. And I might even, on occasion, listen to a bit of electronica. Or the band Aqua, in my room, alone, where no one can see or hear me. However, my point is, the first time I came in contact with Tuvan throat singing, I thought, did somebody die? What is he doing? Because... My ear couldn't even register that that was singing, but it is. Or, for example, one of the major crazes that seems to have hit YouTube in the last year or so is Kolning. It's a Swedish herding call. I mean, who thought you would want to listen to Swedish herding calls, let alone with New Agey synthesized backgrounds? But people do. But that brings up another point and goes back to what we've been talking about which is the lines of art are rarely clear and clean. And I believe, as do many scientists, that there's a reason for that. Ian Cross is the director for the Center of Science and Music at Cambridge in England. He studies musical perception and culture's role in the musical experience. According to an interview he gave to Bruce Bauer of Science Magazine back in 2010, he states, The contemporary Western view of music is that it consists of complex, patterned sounds with a structure that we find pleasurable to listen to. But music is much more than that. All cultures have music, but many cultures don't have a word for music. I've worked with ethnomusicologists who play recorded music to members of non-Western groups to try to measure how they perceive and react to it. But these people don't think of a recording as music. It makes no sense to them because it's not interactive. Too many scientists think that Mozart is music, but two kids singing a street chant is not music. Wow, it's like I was making that point or something. An even bigger misunderstanding is the assumption that music doesn't matter. In our culture, music has become a commodity that's divorced from action. It's thought of as entertainment, not as a fundamental communication system. But music and speech 
are probably the same thing. Hold the phone. Didn't I read an article in the New York Times about 40,000-year-old bone flutes being discovered in a cave in Germany? That would mean people in the Ice Age had music. I suspect music evolved around 600,000 years ago. So Neanderthals and the first humans would have had music. Isn't that interesting? So what you're telling me is that music is actually a form of communication. Hmm, it's like I was making that point or something. Now let's go back to that part about importance. One of the things he stated in the interview is that there's a massive misconception that music is somehow unimportant. And in fact, if you live in America, I'm only going to speak for America because I do live in America and I am American. And opinionated. But if you were to, say, look at the amount of funding that goes towards our art forms, you would be absolutely shocked at how little we value our arts. Not to mention this strange sort of dichotomy that exists where we place artists on pedestals. Think about almost any singer, dancer, or actor you've seen on television. And at the same time, treat our arts as though they have no value. Think about any parent who has told their child, no, you can't be a musician. You need to go to law school. Okay, okay. I'm running away from the rant about being a professional artist, especially in America. But I am going back to music being a medium of communication and quintessential to our human nature. Quintessential to our human nature. Now, it could be because I was a DJ. It could be because I grew up in the theater and I know the importance of background music. It could be because I'm now a musician and I can sit in a room full of people chattering and watch their conversations change based on what I choose to play on my guitar. Whatever the reason, over the last decade or so, I began to take special note on just how much music seemed to influence the people around me. Everything from their breathing, to their moods, to their speech patterns. It's quite fascinating. But as I said before, I think we are largely unaware of just how much music and sound feature in our daily lives. But more importantly, I think we are completely unaware of how much they influence us in subtle ways. Now, I'm not just talking about the four chord song that they play every freaking 20 minutes on the radio. You and I are going to the movies. We choose a seat and we sit down and there are people walking across the screen. They're having a nice old time, having a chat about what they're going to eat for dinner. They're in the woods and it's a beautiful sunny day. We think this is a romance film, but suddenly one high pitched note starts to be played on the violin. And out of nowhere, we're in a suspense film. Isn't that interesting? Now I'm going to get really off track. Have you ever thought about the fact that your body literally pulses with rhythm? Your heartbeat has rhythm. At least I sure hope it does. Well, that cardiac rhythm responds to both internal and external stimuli. Say when you're nervous or scared or excited, the rhythm begins to accelerate. And when you feel calm and cared for, it calms down. Same goes for your breathing. But what's even more fascinating is that with music, it can work the other way. Oftentimes, you will see people in euphoric states when they have headphones on or when they're dancing in the middle of a concert. 
Countless tribal communities use music and dance as a form of ecstatic celebration or worship. Now, why do you think that is? And more importantly, why don't we think that's important? I mean, not that I have anything against writing or football or the concept of time, but not every culture has writing, football, or the concept of time. Every culture has some kind of music, and most have some kind of dance. And most often, those are featured in incredibly serious rituals, rites, and sacred ceremonies. So once again, I ask you, why do we not take music and movement more seriously? Small children will often begin to dance or move their bodies to rhythm, even if they've never seen someone dance before. They will start to sing even when they've never heard someone sing before. My grandmother is currently in a home in California. She can't remember her name, she can't tell you what day it is, she definitely can't tell you who I am, but she can sing a song from the 1940s right along with me, every single word. There have been countless studies done on the ways in which music and movement can affect memory and past trauma. So why do we not take these things more seriously? I believe it's because, because they are dangerous. I mean, if a single violin underscoring part of a film can affect your body and your brain that drastically, how can we not view music as dangerous? Many of you have probably heard of Silent Night, and I'm not referring to the Christmas Carol, or at least not exactly. I'm referring to the Christmas Truce of 1914, when thousands of British, French, and Belgian soldiers put down their rifles and stepped out of the trenches to sing Christmas carols along with their German counterparts. Graham Williams of the 5th London Rifle Brigade described the event as follows. First the Germans would sing one of their carols, and then we would sing one of ours until we started up, O Come All Ye Faithful. The Germans immediately joined in singing the same hymn to the Latin words, and I thought, well, this is really a most extraordinary thing. Two nations, both singing the same carol in the middle of a war. But this is not by any means the only instance where music has changed the course of history. There are stories of wars being won when people have come together in the hundreds of thousands in song. Now, whether those are myth, legend, or fact remains to be seen. But I can give you more than a few names of people who have hung for singing or writing a song. And worse. Because music, because music stirs something, stirs something deep within, deep us. within us. And that can be dangerous. However, you came here to learn about global folk traditions, not hear stories about war or anarchy. And so, one last time, we're going to bring it on back. Now, one of the things I find absolutely fascinating is the way in which music and movement seem to be able to chronicle our human history. For example, take a 400-year-old courtly dance. Maybe the steps are really popular when the dance first comes out, but then in the books you see that the steps completely change, maybe even 10 years later. This could reflect a change in monarchy, in dress or fashion, or in what's acceptable for men and women to do on the dance floor. Something else we'll be looking at is the evolution or history of different songs. So, for example, I grew up listening to the song Scarborough Fair 
as sung by Simon and Garfunkel. However, while the majority of people I speak to have heard of and can even possibly sing Scarborough Fair, most people have not heard of White Harbor Fair or Whittingham Fair. And they definitely haven't heard of the Elfin Night. But we believe these are all different evolutions of the same song. I think that's pretty cool. Over the last year or so, I have traveled to Ireland. Scotland. Various regions of Spain. France. And Morocco. others. Before we part ways, I would like to leave you with a story. For the last year or so, I've been traveling around Europe and parts of Africa, but it is more than my passion for dance and music which has led me to begin this pilgrimage. My story begins in the Seattle Center on a cold gray winter afternoon nearly 13 years ago. I was surrounded by a snaking river of photographs on easels that crowded the pavement spanning more than a city block. I'd been wandering for about three hours and I was cold and tired and wanted to go home. But as I turned the corner to look for my friend, I stumbled and stopped. Standing before me was a large black and white photograph portraying rolling hills and the gravel lane of a countryside, the which country I didn't know. In the center of the lane was a group of men and women wearing caps and scarves and sturdy leather boots, and I could see their breath hanging in the cold air around them. But I was fixated on their eyes. They were weeping and wailing, and their cries were almost palpable in the unmoving photo, because at their feet was the body of a tiny boy, almost unrecognizable, for his limbs lay splayed at impossible angles, and his head was barely a head at all. I quickly realized the darkness on the gravel around his body was not dirt, but blood. Without knowing what was happening, I began to sob. I felt a sudden surge of rage at the photographer who had chosen to take a picture instead of stepping in. The people in the photograph were a tribe of travelers, or gypsies. They had arrived ten kilometers outside of a small town in Romania and begun to make camp. But when the village had gotten wind, that tinkers were nesting on their borders. The entire town had amassed, and when they reached the caravans, three of the strongest men had grabbed the smallest child and beaten him to death to make a clear warning that they were not wanted. I faltered, unable to accept that something so atrocious could happen in this day and age, even halfway around the world. But the photograph had been taken only three months before that exhibition. For weeks, I could think of nothing else but that picture, and I was ashamed that I had spent so many mindless hours and years obsessing over relationships or possessions when this sort of mindless cruelty could somehow exist somewhere in the world. 
and I knew I would never be the same. I thought about politics and religion. I thought about conquest and war. I thought about racism, sexism, and hatred. But most importantly, I thought about fear. I thought about fear of ourselves and fear of a nameless, unknown other. I thought about the fear that we live in a world we truly believe we cannot change. But I gradually understood that these things happen, these violences, this world destruction, it exists because of our fears, because of the distance we put between ourselves and other cultures in the name of fear. That these acts are no more than reactions to a deep-seated and primal terror of the unknown. I also realized very clearly that the one place where these fears and feelings became irrelevant were in the realms of music and movement. In our arts, we have a history of musicians and artists, creators who find their way to being accepted in other cultures. This is because our arts speak to something deeper and more primal in our human existence, something that lies beyond language. This makes them dangerous. Music and movement are dangerous because they have the ability to make us blind to our differences while simultaneously celebrating them. Our arts are dangerous because they have the ability to chronicle our human history and unite us, whether for purposes of peace or destruction. They are dangerous because they have the ability to foster a new world renaissance, born of the unspoken worlds of human perception and interaction. When we seek to understand another human being rather than react from fear, we birth into existence the possibility of a new world. Won't you join me on my series of travels around the world to unearth our past and reimagine our future together? This has been the premiere episode of Crossing Borders. My name is Genevieve. Till we meet again. <laughs>